0: Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners, podcast listeners, we have a great program for you today. Jason Swank of jasonswank.com is joining us. And Jason uh, grew and sell an eight-figure agency. And he had clients like AT&T, Hitachi, Lotus Cars, and now runs a consultancy that helps agencies start, scale, enjoy, and sell their agency by applying the formula that he used to grow his agency. So we're really excited to have Jason on our program today. Jason, welcome to the Digital Agency Show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, you've been in the agency world for uh, a couple of years, uh, just to say the least. When did you get your start as an agency owner? Like, when and and also, uh, why did you decide to start an agency when you did?
1: Well, you know, it was all by accident. I think probably everybody listening is probably in the same boat, right? So, I started out in 99 back when Al Gore invented the internet for us. So, thank you, Al. (laughs) And it little, well, I, actually, I guess it was back in 98 when I created my first website. But I created my first website because one of my friends looked like just like Justin Timberlake. And so I created a website called InShit to make fun of NSYNC. And it got popular. <laughs> and then a lawyer came up to me, or no, actually, it was a real estate agent. My lawyer was my second client. Uh, my dad was selling his house. I lived at home <laughs> after school because I, I literally worked for Arthur Anderson, the paper shredding company, as a uh, computer programmer. I could live anywhere I wanted. And I was just creating this website. And uh, the person selling the house was like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, creating this website. And he goes, well, can you create one for me? And I did. And I charged $500 for it.
0: (laughs) I feel like everybody's
1: got the $500 website store. I mean R is ours... a good number, I guess, to start out. You <laughs> don't know what to ask. I mean, and, and plus this is like 15 years ago, or God, 17 years ago or whatever. Yeah, it's a long time ago. 18. It's 18 years ago. I was oh, my gonna
0: God. say the the math is is is
1: yeah, eighteen years. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's what good. I well see, I always made fun of my math teacher when she would say, It's not like you're gonna be walking around with a calculator in your pocket. I'm like, yeah. If you only knew, <laughs> I do.
0: So, $500 website, which I think a lot of us can relate to. I I created a a $500 website for a candy store in Michigan, and that beat getting paid minimum wage. So, I quit the minimum wage job and started that. But so, you you build this website for $500, and you, it was at at that moment, you're like, I'm going to create a mega agency and uh, and do this the rest of my life. Oh, God, no.
1: No, I didn't even know what an agency was. I didn't even know Br- Brent, I didn't even know what an invoice was. My first client asked me for an invoice and I had to go ask my dad. Like there was no Google, there was nothing I could type in. And so literally I knew nothing. I mean literally if like if you could know nothing, go back a couple levels and that was me. And um so I had it I was just like, man, I got $500 doing this. I was like, can I do this again? So literally I went in the phone book and for all those young people out there, that is like a, a book with numbers in it. <laughs> and, and literally, I would just go in this book and I just go, they don't have a website listed. I go, hey, this is Jason with, uh, and the company was called Swank Technologies. And I'd be like, I changed it to Solar Velocity, but uh, I would be like, hey, this is Jason Swank with Swank Technologies. And I just hated how it sounded, but it worked. And I just kept getting client after client.
0: So your first go-to-market strategy was outbound cold calling to phone book listings, people that didn't have
1: websites. It definitely wasn't Facebook.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I, I hear that from you and I kind of say, you know, that strategy probably would still work today if you're willing to dial the phone and and just reach out to people that don't have websites or have a, a blatantly obvious poor performing or under, you know,
1: underperforming website co-calling still to this day is amazing strategy now obviously you're not going to co-call to people that don't have websites because you probably don't want to work with someone that hasn't ever done a website or worked with an agency before they'd be a nightmare client you don't want to convince
0: me. them to to take the red pill it's like a you know you're you're trying to convince them to join the internet which is it's a lot easier to probably ask somebody who's already taken the pill exactly. and work with them yeah so you yep. you 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 have uh swank technologies you're calling <laughs> folks out of the, the phone book you're getting some traction um, is that when you were realizing that were you still at Arthur Anderson or at this point were you saying hey it's time to leave this other day job and do something else
1: yeah I just I'm unemployable like probably a lot of you guys listening I just don't take to direction very well and I just saw this as a big opportunity I said man you know I can I like designing websites I loved it And I was really good at it. And there's a lot of people that have the need. So I literally said, you know, this is the time. I mean, I have no debt. You know, I'm young. I'm going to take all the opportunity, all the chances now. And I just said, let's commit to it. So I quit Arthur Anderson and, um, you know, just started calling a bunch of people. And, And the cool thing was, is as I kept winning more and more deals, right, I kept getting better and better. And then what I started realizing is, is like, man, I could Like I literally started thinking of the number I wanted to make in my head. And I said, man, if I want to make this number and I'm charging $500 a website, I have to do a lot of websites. I was like, well, how can I get, you know, more money with less websites? So then I started charging more. And then when I started charging more, a unique thing happened. I actually started getting better clients. They weren't such so demanding as the the smaller ones. And then, as we started getting bigger clients, I said, "Well, let me hire someone, so I don't have to do all the work." And I learned this this cool thing called outsourcing in college. Um, so <laughs> I outsourced all my work. I was like, "Let me put that, let me put my degree to work." And as soon as I did that, that's when things really started growing for us.
0: I want to talk about that starting with a number. Um or starting to think of a number that you wanted to make, I find that I talk to a lot of um, early stage agency owners and even agency owners who have been in the game for a long time that for some reason they, they don't do that. They don't set a number, set a goal in their head or they add up all of their expenses and say that's like, how much do you wanna make a month? Well, rent is a thousand, food is a thousand, miscellaneous is a thousand. I guess I wanna make $3,000 a month. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's not how this should work. You should set a a much larger goal so that you're not just breaking even. Um, Why do you think that was something that you naturally did was setting a goal, setting a number for yourself and starting to work towards that?
1: Well, I mean, I've always been goal oriented. Like if you don't have a goal, how do you know where you're going? how do you communicate where you're going, right? And so it's kind of like you have this amazing technology called Google Maps. But if you don't enter a destination, Google Maps is completely useless. And it's the same thing goes with the direction of your company. You need to know where you want to go, why you want to do what you want to do, how you can actually help, who you actually serve. And then, and you need to figure this out before you even hire someone. Because look, if you don't have direction for your agency before you actually hire someone, you're going to be struggling like a number of different years that I did. Now we were always profitable, but we weren't always as profitable as we were when we wound up selling the agency. And we, and just to let you guys know, we grew it up to over eight figures. So it was a big agency. And so, but in the very beginning, I remember trying to recruit people and I didn't have that vision and direction to to tell them. So I kept trying to sell them. And then if they did get hired and they did decide to work with us, they were making decisions. What's better for them versus what's better for the agency because we didn't provide them the direction of where we wanted to go. And if you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you actually reach there? So the easiest thing you guys can do is just literally on a piece of paper right now, stop your car, don't crash or do it later, uh, wherever you're at. Write down on a piece of paper, what do you want to make personally in the next 12 months? Now, I don't care about top line revenue. A lot of people just focus on top line. But it's all about profit. So who cares if you can say you're a million dollar agency or a 13 million dollar agency like we, we grew up to be, right? Who cares about that? It matters on profit. So write down that number and then divide it by the average deal that you work with and see how many clients you have. And I bet what you'll find is there it's impossible or unlikely for you to hit that number at your current track right now. I mean, I
0: find most agency owners are picking up anywhere from one to five clients a month. And when you do that exercise, usually, you know, if you're charging, if you're trying to make 200K this year and you're charging 2K a project, you know, that's 100 projects. And I think most people would look at that and say, that's Super unrealistic.
1: Yeah, the the telltale sign if you're not charging enough is you say to yourself you're too busy. If you're too busy, you're not charging enough, and you're not charging enough because you're thinking too small. Think bigger. You know, Brent, you you started off saying like people are just thinking small. Think really big. Like billionaires laugh at millionaires because millionaires think too small. Right. So think really big for like the next couple of years. Like, what do you want to create? Like I literally, when we started in 99, this was in the dot com era, right? Like some of my friends' companies were getting bought for a gazillion dollars. and And so I was thinking big. I was like, Great! I'm gonna do this for two years, and then I'm gonna buy my island, <laughs> right? And I'm like, I'm How, how'd that work out, Jason? Well, I bought a mountain, but that was many, many years ago. But uh, but I was n- I'm still working on the on the island. I guess I could buy the island in the the, the street where the water kind of goes around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually this is a total
0: tangent, but I was I was in a group of uh, entrepreneurs where there was actually a. Uh, um kind of a think tank on buying an island as a group uh, for tax purposes. And at first I was like Are you, I guess for real, but then it comes back to that think bigger. Like why not? Like if you're if you if your goal is to buy an island and you start to put processes in place to make that happen then, you know, you'll you'll start to uh, answer that question of what do I need to do in order to buy an island versus if you don't ever
1: ask yourself those questions, you're never going to come up with the answers. Yeah, look, 8 years ago Like I grew up in Florida, I grew up on the beach, but I was always fascinated with the mountains. Like my wife took me skiing and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I was just fascinated by the mountains. And so eight years ago, I set a goal saying, I want to buy a mountain one day. And literally six months ago, I bought a mountain in Colorado. Now it's not a very big mountain. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like Mount Everest or anything like that. So, but Right, it's you got to think big. Like I remember eight years ago, I was just joking with people, going, "I know when I made it, when I buy a mountain." And then I bought it. I was like, "Well, crap, what do I do next?" Mm. <laughs> right? But you always got to think bigger.
0: So, at what point did you go from swank? Uh, technologies to solar, I, solar, solar <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I see a comeback for that business I don't know Jason I think Swag technologies should have a comeback but uh, oh
1: god we- that was horrible I could even see the logo too it's just it's <laughs> like hurting my retina just thinking about the logo um, so it was probably about eight months in and I just started realizing I was like dude it's just a horrible name I, I don't want that name to be my my brand Um, which is funny. Now my brand is Jason Swank, which is my name. (laughs) So it's amazing how things change. But I just thought I wanted a different name to look bigger than I was, right? I didn't want, like if I could say I'm Jason Swank with Swank Technologies, they knew I was the chief person. But I wanted to be able to position saying, well, like I could be the art director if I didn't tell you what I did, or I could be the the programmer i could be the account manager or whatever so Mm -hmm. i needed to make a a name change
0: so you said to look bigger than i am and thinking about my mindset uh early on as an agency um i feel like that is a it's a thing it's a thing that you a lot of solopreneurs that want to Portray that they are bigger than they are. Uh, oftentimes, make decisions around you know that versus you know pivoting away from a name was was the situation for you. Do you think that it's even necessary to look bigger than you are, or are there other strengths that? you can, you know, it's it's like people don't lean into the strengths of being the agency of one. They try to act like they're the agency of 10, but they're really an agency of one. So they're almost completely missing the potential power of just being a one, two, three person shop. They're not like leaning into that strength. So you've changed
1: your mind on that a bit. Oh yeah, totally. Because the whole market has changed, right? So you could, for what you could do now, like with a uh, agency of one about pr- Putting out all that value and building that trust. Back in the day in, in the 90s, you couldn't do that, right? Content marketing really wasn't a thing online, a blog or a podcast or hell video, YouTube wasn't even around. So you had to kind of like people looked at you based on who you actually worked with. So back in the day, you actually had to start figuring out strategies to work with the bigger brands. And one of our first big brands that we got was like water.com, which was like crystal springs, Belmont spring, Hinkley, and that kind of stuff. And then we would leverage that. And so that was kind of the ploy back then versus now, like, like a smaller agency can dominate a bigger one, right? Because literally you can have that, that specialization and that more personal touch then, you know, rather how we looked at it, we'd just be like, you know, and we used to do it a, wrong a lot, a lot of the times, right? So we would lead with our awards, we would lead with our people, right? We did all the stupid stuff that you're, you're not supposed to, right? Because no one cares about the awards. No one cares about your people. They care about what you can do for them. And you need to make them kind of the, the star and the story that you're telling versus yourself. And so we did it all wrong. And now it worked out okay for us. But looking back, if I did it again, kind of like what I'm doing with the brand now, you know, I'm doing it the the right way for what I think now. But maybe in 20 years, I'll be like, oh, totally wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even that thing that you just said of, you know, making it about the people, I know that a lot of agencies, you go to their website, it's like, oh, our team, our big, t- like, here's our team, and here's all these amazing people's faces and their uh, their name and their dog's name and their uh, you know status in the internal foosball league or whatever. Like it's like people put a lot of emphasis on their team on the website, but then what I just heard from you is you should be putting more emphasis on your customer, which is something that I firmly believe in um, more so than, I mean, I think there's building credibility. Like we have a team, we have a lot of expertise, but then always framing that in a way of how that actually helps their business.
1: Yeah. That comes later down the channel, right? As you're moving people from, you know, the awareness stage now to more of a decision stage of telling them about your team and that kind of stuff. And you should introduce your team once you qualify uh, a particular prospect and you know that there's someone you want to work with, then you should introduce your team because you shouldn't play the bait and switch like Arthur Anderson would. But, you know, the partner would sell the deal and then the school bus would drop the kids off, right? And then it was like the bait and <laughs> switch. So you shouldn't do that because then you're you're kind of working yourself into a, a job that you're never going to be able to get out of because you position yourself as the expert. And And if you're positioning yourself as the expert, You're in a losing game um, and you're always going to be on that constant, um, you know, treadmill to get off. But you literally need to focus on your customer and obsess over that customer. I mean, I think that's why this business has grown so fast is I just obsess over digital agency owners. I mean, it's sick. I mean, I have an obsession over it because I just remember how painful it was of you know not having the resources like you guys provide or anybody else that provides in order to you know benefit and and make them make a better decision and so you just and you here's the other big mistake I think agencies make is they don't get specific at who they're targeting I mean I have clients that target um, pool builders I mean in Texas I have I mean and they're a three million dollar agency I have other ones that target building manufacturers that you know, after like six months of, you know, us kind of massaging things, they landed $800,000 deal from it. So you need to be a specialist versus a generalist that so many position themselves at. Does that make sense? Of course. And I, I think that what you said about obsessing over the customer is
0: a shift that most people need to make like in the next five minutes. Um, and I feel like a lot of Agency owners obsess about themselves and their own business and their own capabilities and their own office, their own website. Uh, And they aren't thinking uh, enough about who their customer is, whether that's, you know, pool builders in Texas or whatever. And and just sauteing in everything about that type of a customer and what their needs are so that when you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, you're like yelling out some pool builder technology. (laughs) I mean, that's like what I advocate for. and And it sounds like you do as well. And I'm sure all the other folks that are like us, you know, push people that direction because it's so powerful.
1: Well, because then you know who you're talking to. You understand their biggest challenges. You understand what they want. And then by doing that, you start eliminating your competition. Like I, I tell people and they go, well, you know, hey, you, you, you help out your competition, that kind of stuff. I'm like, who's the competition? They're like, well, so-and-so. I'm like, no, no, no. My competition is procrastination and cat videos, <laughs> and literally, because, look, I can't be anybody else. I know who I am, and they can't be me. So, you know, literally, all I can do is is what I do. And that's how you guys need to start looking at it. Like I just talked to an agency owner before this and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to jump into this group because I don't want to share strategies that are working with other people. I'm like, well, it's not going to be right for you if, if, because you're looking at it in a whole different way, right? You need to look at it as, is like, look, I don't care if my competition knows the exact playbook that I'm using. It doesn't matter because they are not you. And chances are you're going to implement a hell of a lot quicker than they are anyway
0: and i think there's just so much business out there there's oh, yeah. there's so many markets there's so many pieces i mean you and i serve the same market and i doubt we've even as you know both of us together working on educating agencies and helping them grow their business i would be very interested to i mean to know the stats but i'm sure if we looked at the entire digital agency market worldwide i mean you add up all of our customers together and i i, I bet i'm just taking a guess it's probably less than one percent. i got all of them what are you talking about <laughs> you bought a
1: mountain <laughs> you, you need you need to play catch up brett i mean i got all of them you got like you know, a hundred, <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. I'm busting your chops. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think that's... It's probably a very, very small number, even if some of them even overlap. So, right? yeah, I mean, it's such a huge pie out there. And just stop thinking that you're going to get all of it. It doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> and, and and two, there's always the, 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 the case where... Maybe your competition or especially maybe you were alluding to trying to invite somebody to like a, a higher end mastermind where you're sharing kind of open book about your business. Um, there's probably a higher likelihood that you you serve a customer up to a certain point and maybe the person that sounds like they're doing something very similar to you, maybe they serve the customer Before that or after that, or maybe there's some overlap, but there's very rarely that like a hundred percent congruent. Like you guys have the exact same business model, exact same type of customer. Everybody always has their little variation. Plus there's the unique part of, of them just being them. Right. And having that relationship or that history that might serve not just what they do, but the history or the experience that maybe helps them serve somebody better than, than somebody else. You you mentioned earlier in, in the program that you built an eight-figure agency, and I'm curious at kind of looking at some of those transitions, kind of the zero to a million, million to nine million, nine hundred thousand, ninety-nine, whatever. What was like one of those worst moments going from zero to a million? That would be a good place to, to start.
1: So I, I remember <laughs> we were probably, at the time, we were probably at maybe just under two, And, you know, we had a hefty payroll then, and literally I was at a point where we started to look at the pipeline and there was not much there, right? Because at that point we were relying on referrals to grow and referrals just aren't scalable. And then, uh, we started losing some accounts, um, you know, just based on change management, right? Which is, you know, attrition is going to always happen. You can't hold on to everybody all the time and, and attrition is good. But in this time I was stressed out. And literally we were about two weeks away from just closing down the doors and be like, screw this, I'm out. And literally I remember uh, coming home, uh, my wife's like, well, what's wrong with you? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm about to go out of business. or I, I don't know <laughs> if I want to do this anymore, that kind of stuff. And literally she was like, well, you know, why don't you go work for someone else? I was like, Oh, really? Like, you'd be okay with that? And she's like, yeah. So, literally, I started applying to be, um, I think the position was for the CMO of NASCAR. And I was in the early stages. And I was about to submit my resume and answer these questions that they had. And two of the questions that really resonated with me that made me not submit it. It said, what do you want to do in the next year? And what don't you want to do in the next year? And I kind of had epiphany or whatever you want to call it. I don't know if I'm making up a word. Hopefully you guys know what I'm talking about. But I was like, hey, I can do that in my agency. And so literally at that moment I said, well, why am I doing all this stuff I don't want to do or that I'm not good at? So how can I eliminate this or delegate it to someone else and create systems in, in, the, in the way? And then how do I get super targeted at doing the stuff I really love doing? And when I did that, we were able to change the agency around we were able to grow at a rapid pace. Um, I mean, literally, I think that year we doubled our revenue um, because we started getting really clear at what we were doing. And, and we started saying no to a lot of the bad stuff. And I think a lot of you guys will relate. Like, I always, um, I always joke with people and say, there's no such thing as a bad agency client. And Brent, you were probably even like, oh, no, no, no. I can tell you a bad <laughs> agency client. And we all can. because, But they started off as a bad prospect or we had a bad process, right? So if you can start eliminating them from the very beginning when they actually come in and only start taking on the work that you know you can excel at, right? And that's what we started doing. We were able to turn everything around. So that was a moment in time that I'll never forget. And I think even literally, I think that day, I picked up my laptop, threw it against the wall, (laughs) stepped on it a couple of times, heard the office space music, like the gangster rap going, right? So like all that happened, (laughs) just what i heard from you there is that you have a choice
0: in who you work with and what you do and i feel like sometimes people get into a uh, i don't know if it's a mindset or just your your past decision debt of choosing to pursue clients for maybe the wrong reasons like i just need money right now no matter what which again at the maybe at the time that's the right reason but eventually that becomes a bad reason to to sign on to clients but that you actually do have a choice in the matter. It's not just, you know, every person that knocks on your door that says, Hey, I need a website or I need some marketing or I need this automation or this software built. Not everybody that knocks on your door should be pursued. You know, it's most probably most of them should not be. Most of them, it's a two way street. You know, a contract is not just you trying to win the business um for the sake of winning the business, but it's also um You know, you have to now have this client like in your home, in your office home, right? Like you have to work with them. You have to, in some cases, do hundreds of hours worth of work. So if there's even a smidgen of bad fit, that's going to exacerbate over the course of the project. It probably will not get better with stress in time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you got to say no. I mean, literally, if you guys don't walk away from anything, like if you walked away just with what I'm about to tell you, you'll be in such a better place. Literally, if you wrote on a piece of paper, if you were only going to be paid on performance alone, what service would you do, and what would be the criteria of the client you would actually be working with? If you really stick to that, you'll be so much more successful. Now, you will say no to some of the right ones over time. All right, that's going to be happen. That happened to me, and look, uh, it's all about like, um, and I always laugh at it now. Like when uh, Elf on the Shelf came to us, and they told us about the idea back in. <laughs> 2006 or whatever i can only imagine your initial reaction (laughs) yeah i was like this sounds like the dumbest idea i've ever heard i didn't say that i was really nice and polite and passed them off but then now i have kids i'm like that was brilliant and that was a stupid move so but you got to stick to your guns like i didn't believe in that and that was probably right that i said no because our team would not have probably done the good job that they needed in order to elevate it out so you got to think about what's that criteria? What's that core service? And really, you know, you're in the driver's seat as an agency because you can control who you take on, right? And if you create this pipeline where they're coming to you and you start eliminating your competition because of your mindset and you're really specialists, now you can pick on the perfect client. Now if you pick on the perfect client, you can charge whatever you want for the value as long as the value is there, obviously and then if you can charge more now you don't have to do everything. If you don't have to do everything, you can have other people doing it and then you can enjoy your life again. And so but it all starts with you know you know not knowing where you're going, who you're going after, charging the wrong amount, right? And it's just an endless cycle.
0: I always find when somebody says to me when I, when I'll say well, they'll say something like I don't like doing this task over here. I don't want to develop anymore. I don't want to design anymore. And then it's it's like, well, okay, look, you can delegate that. You can hire that out. You can outsource that. And then when they say, well, yeah, but I can't, you know, we're not making enough money on the project to outsource that. I'm always like, well, that's a pretty good indicator that you're not, like if you can't hire somebody else in the business to do that, whether it's a part-time role, a contractor, or an overseas person, if you cannot do that, there's not enough money there, then it's probably a pretty good signal that you're, way undercharging for the for your own time
1: big time yeah i mean you guys are breaking even i mean why even do it if you're breaking even or about to lose money i literally i was talking to um a prospect i, I talked to prospects all the time and i remember going to them saying i was like why do you have this one client They're like well they pay the bills i'm like no that client's actually costing you money and i'm like why don't you get rid of them? Well, they're just paying the bill. I'm like, no, that client's costing you money. And then the other thing I think a lot of times people don't realize is the opportunity cost. If you take on a client that's paying you, but you could take that same amount of resources and make 50,000, the opportunity cost is 40,000. And a lot of people mess that up. And I want to be very, very clear. Your profit margins is what you live or die, die by. And If you look in the service bureau and that kind of stuff, like an average service-based company, like the average in the U.S., and I know people may be international and that kind of stuff, but the average is like 35% profit margin. Now, this is after you pay yourself, not your distributions, but it should be over 35%. Heck, ours was over 50. So don't tell me, you know, as you guys are growing that your profit margin is going to start shrinking. You know, you live and die by that. And so like, yeah, when Brent says, well, outsource that and you say you can't, well, then you're not charging enough. So charge more.
0: <laughs> you mentioned uh, something just there that I think is some good, um, something that I want to spend a minute or two on, which is paying yourself uh, is really kind of before profit. Uh, and I go into a lot of agencies that view like their profit is, is essentially what what's left over is what they pay themselves. <laughs> and, Wrong. and it's like, no, 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 no. Like what would it cost to have you working in the business is the you know, if you were to hire you on the open job market, uh, and bring you into the business, and like that's where you pay yourself, and you're either paying, you know, you're either hitting that number right now, or you're not hitting that number, and you're putting in some sweat equity, and your business is unprofitable, or you're able to hit that number, and then you're able to see kind of a, a margin after that. And I get a lot of tension here. Um, wh- why do you think people resist? And maybe I don't know if you ever did this in, in your own past, in your own agency, was uh, resisting paying yourself a competitive market wage for the work that you're doing in the business. No, I always paid myself
1: because <laughs> I was worth it. <laughs> you're like, I didn't have this problem. We're good. <laughs> uh, I didn't, honestly, I didn't have that problem. But um, but yeah, no, I, I see that all the time. And I think they're trying to do it to position themselves to sell. But I'm like, dude, you're not even close to being sell. And then anyway, anybody that would look at buying you is going to assume that. And they're going to look at, oh, yeah, there's 100000 left over in profit. Well, that's not your profit because you haven't even paid yourself. So literally, you're at zero. And you're going to get a multiple of zero. And no one wants a multiple of zero because unless you want to put cream cheese on that bagel, right? So, you know, it's not going to work. So pay yourself. So you mentioned a little bit of a,
0: a, a turning point for you at that $2 million mark where you kind of thought about getting another job. Was there any moment from there until when you decided to exit the business that was was challenging? I imagine going from $2 million in annual rev to $13 million there was probably, you know, some dynamics of the business that changed. Um, was there any points during that part of your trajectory that, um, you know, were, were challenging or maybe you thought of leaving the business or, or maybe even thought about exiting the business? I mean, which you
1: ultimately did. So, yeah, I mean, there was many times that, you know, from the two to the, you know, eventually when we sold that, you know, we had issues. I mean, from management issues, putting the right people in the right position to, you know, losing that major client. It all comes down to you knowing what you want to do and just knowing that failure is going to come. But really, you just got to kind of push through it and not be afraid of it. And then, you know, communicate that to the team as well. Like if you act more as their cheerleader, they're more likely to walk out on the limb, even if they know that limb will break. And so we just created that really amazing kind of culture and you know the only award that i was really proud of is we got the best place to work like the top place and that's the only one i'll ever tell anybody about because all the other ones are total bs and we wanted to create this amazing culture and this amazing family and we knew that our employees were our number one asset not our clients and it still goes back to that moment like when i started you know applying for that one job like that was the changing point for everything And then I just started communicating, you know, that kind of stuff to the team and just coming up with the right systems in order to create this amazing culture that was cool for me. And then we just surrounded ourselves with people that had similar core values as we did. And then we were able to just blow by. And and I think the biggest difference between, you know, where people are at now, whether it be 5 million, 8 million, 10 million or 100 million is all about mindset. Your mind is the thing between your ears is the thing messing you up. And there's not a big difference between, like once you get over the million, there's not a big difference from a million to five. There really just isn't. And there's not that big of a difference from five to ten. It's just you got more structure. you got more people, right? But you actually have less to do. One really, really hard part for me, Brent, was when we started going from you know, the two million and, and going for the trajectory that we were, I knew I needed to change my role. I knew I knew I needed to go from an owner to a CEO where I needed to coach and mentor just my leadership team. Not, the, not everybody, right? You just can't possibly coach everybody. And then I also need to be the front person for the company. I need to assist sales and I needed to understand financials. That's it. When I was able to do that, I went through major case of depression because now they didn't need me for the creative stuff. They didn't need me for the creative brief. They didn't need me for the strategy or all of the sales. And so I was like, oh, I came home one day. I said, you know, my uh, my company doesn't need me anymore. But they needed me for some a different role. And that was a huge, huge mindset shift that I needed to go through that took me a while. So hopefully, if you guys are listening, you'd be like, yeah, Jason, I'd like to go through that. And that'd be easy, right? No, no, no. You, you're going to feel the same thing because you don't have that sense of uh, significance anymore, right? Um, and you're not going to realize that until um, you kind of make that mind shift.
0: And I think too, if you're in that process and you aren't letting go of some of those things that you shouldn't be participating in anymore, you probably could end up creating more, more problems or even struggle with that scale element if you're not letting go of, let's say, you're actual project and creative work. If you're still CEO guy getting in, in the weeds and helping people push pixels, that's probably going to create problems. Or
1: Yeah, don't be the chief bottleneck officer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're, we're both in, in a similar line of work with helping agencies grow their business. And I, I'd love to talk a little bit about kind of the state of the agency market a little bit um, on, the, on the tail end. Um, what are some of the big trends that you're seeing uh, in the marketplace for agencies today what are some of the things that they should be spending their time focused on either from a service level or culture level where where's that that puck moving for the marketplace
1: well i mean the cool thing is it's always moving um and you guys have such um like you have more opportunity than you ever could dream of right because there's you can create a business with just literally a laptop um, there, you can reach people all over the world, half your clients, you'll never meet in person, right? You have the opportunity to reach anybody and everybody that you particularly want. Um, but the challenge is, is you're not getting specific enough. You know, the market really needs to go to more of a, a helpful place rather than just like, and we talked about this in the very beginning of like centering all that tension and focus on yourself. And you do this by doing live video, creating rich media content, not just creating blog content. Like I always laugh at people that just create blog content that's generalist. Like literally I'm like, yeah, anybody can edit that. But you go on Facebook live, you create a video, like people are going to be able to trust you that much quicker and they're going to relate to you a lot more. And just, and even if you're going after the bigger companies, people are like, oh, I'm going after the bigger brands. I can't do that. Like, Who makes the decisions in the bigger companies? They're people. They breathe, right? Unless they're like bots, right? (laughs) And that's what some things are going to go to. And then you mess with, you will do other things. But, you know, just think about like, who do I want to help? How can I actually help them? And how do I be a little bit different than my uh, so-called competition? And, but you guys have such an amazing opportunity um, with, I mean, the world is a much smaller place now. Dude, I, I, I'm excited for all of you guys.
0: <laughs> I always find that that's, um, you, you know, you, you talk about the the blog content, just this like very standard boilerplate. I mean, you, you go to probably cruise through a website like Sortfolio, go through... Fifty agencies and look at their blog, look at their website, and I feel like there is a extreme lack of personality. There's an extreme lack of um, specialty, um, and I think a lot of people try to act. Uh, we talked about this earlier. They like they act bigger than they really are, or they act more corporate-y. Like I, I remember, I did it. I mean, early on, we were like, we need to be like a corporation or act like we're you know some large corporation versus you know coming at the marketplace in a very like nimble personal um, sort of way, which I think is a bigger strength. People can come into the marketplace and do Facebook live videos, which might be, they might feel a little bit vulnerable, but I think at the end of the day, that's going to attract a lot more attention than, you know, the the blog post that says, you know, five ways to make your website responsive in 2017 or something that just has no real, like any, any web pro, any agency owner could write that post. But you know not every web owner or agency owner could could get on to Facebook and do a live Facebook Q and a about like what the hell does responsive web design even mean? <laughs> you know like that might be more yeah. the mindset that your client is in
1: yeah and and they're just writing a blog post to get you know found in the search engines, which is a mistake as well. right? Yeah, you want to be found in the search engines, but you're still going after the crowded market. I mean literally out of hundred percent of the pie, you're going after ten percent of the market actively looking for what you do. What about the other 30% that don't know you exist? What about the other 30% on top of that that don't know they have a problem? And then the other 30% that are not ready yet, right? So you're missing out 60% of the market by just doing your blog posts versus like other things that you could be doing to bring awareness that they do have a problem or that you do exist or that you actually know what you're talking about because there's too many me too agencies out there. And the cool thing for you guys is, is there's too many me too agencies out there. So it's really easy to be different. Like literally I was interviewing Amy Porterfield uh, just before we jumped on this and we're talking about like live videos and we were like, we had a really hard time other than like Vanner media of going like, and that's only really kind of Gary V is doing the, um, you know, the live thing, but there's not many other people doing it. And I'm like, dude, have you ever seen a medium that's so big that you have that much opportunity to go do? So why don't you go try to do that? So it's just it, – it's nuts on the opportunities you guys have out.
0: I think a lot of people probably hesitate on the live video side just because maybe they don't feel like they're an expert enough in their craft or they feel like just being on on the spot on live video is is a difficult thing. Most people don't aren't super jazzed about public speaking. And, and I feel like live video kind of combines a few different elements of public speaking, production, being the expert in your field, which I think is even more of a reason to get crazy specialized that, you know, it's hard to be an expert of all things at all times to all people. But if you can get into like one thing that you do or know better than anybody else for even one single market, which of course, if you get specific about the market, there's plenty of opportunity there.
1: So, yeah. Well, the thing I think the key is, is you said, well, they don't feel like they're the expert. Well, if you don't feel like you're the expert, and you don't have an expert in your agency, you shouldn't be running an agency. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> this, this I, I'm true. just telling you that. Now, if you don't feel comfortable in front of the camera, hell, I don't either. None, no one does. No one feels comfortable doing this. And if you go back and look at my like first video on YouTube, dude, I look like a hostage. Like literally, like a horrible green screen. The lighting, like I look like a oompa loompa. I mean, literally, I even think I went back and put like an annotation on him, like oompa loompa. Right? I mean, it was just horrible, but you don't get better unless you keep doing it and commit to it. But if you are the expert, if you do feel that you know your stuff better than everybody else, you need to be getting out there or putting someone in your agency in the front line in order to do this to separate yourself. Or you might as well just get back in the charity line and see what happens. But you know you have a great opportunity to get out in front of everybody and really stand out. And you have to commit to it. Like You have to... Like I started doing the, uh, you know, the Smart Agency Masterclass podcast like three years ago, right? I barely had anybody listening to the very beginning, but now it's like a huge, you know, generator for us. So it just takes some time. Jason, are you ready for
0: lightning round? Go for it, Jason. What is the best advice you've ever received?
1: The good one. Um, I think it's about how I look at failure and failure is not doing the things you knew you should have done.
0: Which of your personal habits has contributed most to
1: your success? Probably my ritual of when I go to bed and I just ask myself a couple questions before I go to bed every night that sets me up for the next day. Who did I help? Did I help anybody today? What did I learn? Am I prepared for tomorrow? And what am I grateful for?
0: Is there an internet resource or a tool that you use or it's critical to you and your, your
1: business that you think our, our listeners should know about? <laughs> Other than my website? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm a big follower of uh, Tony Robbins, so I always go to, you know, see what he's doing and, and his advice. So, yeah. Cool. And uh, what book would you recommend and Why? <laughs> so that's another good one. Uh, books are like kryptonite to me. I cannot stand books, uh, I guess, because of ADD. Uh, so I, I do everything, you know, listen to podcasts and videos. Um, so uh, I guess I'll give you a video source that I would go to. Um, I'd probably say uh, Gary Vanderchuk.
0: Yeah, Gary V's show is definitely a, a good one. Lots of good video there. Um, cool. Well, Jason, this has been super helpful for, for me and just learning about your story and, uh, the experience you share. And I think there's, there's tons of of nuggets you've shared with our audience today. Uh, how can our audience find out more about you and, uh, yeah. What do you have for them?
1: So the best way to learn more about me is go to the website, jasonswank.com. Swank is spelled S-W-E-N-K. I give away about 80% of my knowledge of running an agency and building it over the years for absolutely free. So you know, go there and check out the 200 and 300 blog posts and uh, podcast shows and videos and you'll have more content that you know, you'll know what to do with uh, for a long time. So hopefully it provides you the value I wish I had <laughs> when I was running my agency. Awesome. Very cool. We'll
0: link to that in our show notes, of course. Uh, you guys can just go to jasonswink.com and uh, get the free content, or I'm sure you've got email lists and all that good stuff. So uh, just want to thank you again, Jason, for hanging out with us today. I've, I've learned a ton. I've got about two pages of notes from our conversation, which is always a, a good sign. Good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks.